Welcome back, my friends, to episode six of the Continuous Improvement Journey podcast. I'm Hayden Barker from Continuous Improvement Journey, where we help you take continuous improvement to the next level so you can destroy your organization's status quo, devastate your competitors, and fuel revolutionary innovation. For episode six of Continuous Improvement Journey's podcast, we'll be talking about the law of operational and process wastes which is a continuation of exploring each of the 13 laws of system optimization that we have discussed so far in the previous three episodes. My hope is that these 13 laws of system optimization will help give us a larger and all-encompassing perspective to help take us to the next level from our traditional lean manufacturing training, which I referred to in the previous episodes as kid lean, to concepts like operational excellence and continuous improvement, which are referred to as having adult conversations about continuous improvement. I want to thank all of you who have listened to these podcasts so far. I'm excited to join with you as we travel on our continuous improvement journey together. Now let's dive into our topic for this week about the second law of the 13 laws of system optimization which is the law of operational and process wastes. Now, in the lean community, you hear all kinds of talk about removing wastes and eliminating wastes, lowering inventory levels, and all these extravagant programs and posters about the wastes. Now, don't get me wrong, uh, wastes in each of our organizations do need to be understood and reduced, much like we talked about in understanding and reducing variation in the previous episode, episode 5 when we talked about the law of variation. However, the generalized lean definitions of waste and the hunt to eliminate eight wastes in our organizations are missing the point and are typical to kid lean. Now, 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 before you burn me at the stake for speaking sets heresy, let's open up our minds a little and look at waste through the lens of system thinking. Unfortunately, When we don't look at waste through the lens of system thinking, we might run the risk of only reducing wastes in the production department or where the real work happens in your organization. What ends up happening is that we end up having myopic lean or having a narrowed view about reducing wastes by 5Sing our work area, setting up tools that they are at the point of use, or even overhead pneumatic tools on restrictable strings. Again, these things do need to happen. However, this type of work will save seconds, minutes, and hours from recycle times in the production area, which is good. So this type of work is great low-hanging fruit to take part in improving. But remember, we are looking at waste through a system thinking lens. So what we're doing here with this type of improvement work is reducing process waste. But what about operational waste? Or in other words, What do we do about reducing the second category of waste, which contains about 75% of system waste, when process waste only contributes about 25% of the waste? Now you may ask, but but I thought that there were eight wastes, or but I thought there were only three wastes, Muda, Murray, and Murrah. Can you say there are only two wastes? Uh, In a way, yes. The two families of waste I'm referring to are the difference between operational and process waste. Process waste is what I referred to before as having a laser focus 
on reducing workstation or work area wastes. Operational waste, on the other hand, occurs throughout the whole organization or system that often misses getting addressed or recognized in your typical kidling, kaizen, or waste reduction events. Yes, we need to start somewhere in our waste reduction activities. The production floor is an easy way to start, so I'm not totally discounting these types of efforts that help save seconds, minutes, and hours of work. But remember, this constitutes only about 25% of the waste in your entire system. With operational waste, we need to look at the entire system, that is, from the vendor to our operations and to the customer. Now, pause for a few seconds and let that sink in. Think about all the process wastes and now operational wastes that can be reduced in your system. The point that I want to make about this long rant that I've been going off on over the past few minutes is when we only reduce waste in the production floor or in specific areas of our organization, we are only removing about 25% of all the waste in our system. The other 75% comes from the following three areas that I will explain in the form of three questions that I want to have you think about. These sources of operational waste are where you will find large amounts of waste caused by variation that consume not just seconds, minutes, or hours, but days, weeks, and even months from your entire lead time in getting your products or services to your customer. For the first question, what sources of process and operational waste and even variation you know about that occur at your suppliers or vendors. If you don't have a clue, I would suggest doing what the Toyota production system does by building deep supplier relations. And you can even go further like Toyota does by sending engineers and process improvement experts to work at and with their tier one suppliers. More about that in our future episode, episode nine. But for now, just remember that you and your suppliers are actually working together in a system. Any sources of waste or variation at your supplier or vendor will directly impact your organization. I'm sure none of you have experienced that at all with the supply chain shortages over the past two or so years. For the second question, what sources of process and operational waste occur in your inventory department? purchasing and inventory storing and pulling processes? What are your inventory turns for high consumption or critical components? When were the reorder points and safety stock levels last reviewed for these items? If it has been more than four months, is this not an opportunity for improvement? More about this to come in our next two future episodes in episodes 7 and 8. We talk about the law of whip and flow in episode 7 and then in episode 8 is the law of inventory optimization. Between now and then, you may burn me at the stake when I suggest that you might actually need to increase your inventory levels for high consumption and critical components in some areas. As a result of this, you'll actually cause your lead times to shrink. I know, I know, this is the exact opposite of what mainstream lean practitioners preach, but they are missing some key points about the law of inventory optimization, so you don't want to miss listening to episode 8 to have a larger and all-encompassing picture about how to optimize your inventory levels. And now for the third and last question. Similar to the first question about your suppliers and vendors, what sources of process and operational wastes and variation do you know about 
that occur with your customers that are the cause of order frequency and order quantity variation. Again, if you don't have a clue, I suggest doing what the Toyota production system does by building deep customer relations. More about that to come in our future episode, episode 10. As you can see, if we reflect a little bit on these previous three questions, the simple approach to kid lean principles of eliminating or reducing waste is only skin deep. For those first starting out on their lean journey, you will need to learn and follow these simple and foundational lean principles and tools. However, the reason why I created my company, Contrast Improvement Journey, is to help you go from simple lean to having a more advanced conversations about continuous improvement. One of the more advanced conversations is this concept I've been talking about, about looking at waste through the lens of system thinking that divides waste into two families of process and operational waste. As we continue to have these advanced conversations about lean, we'll be able to open our minds about the many opportunities to reduce waste and variation all the way from our vendors to our customers. Too overwhelming, you say? That might just be one of the root causes of why kid lean principles and tools get organizations only so far and why many people whine and complain that lean fails up to 90% of the time. Reducing waste is not as simple as we were taught. One of the things I wrote down in my book and talked about in my online course, The Medicine of Lean Six Sigma and the Five Side Effects to Avoid, is that we cannot and should not eliminate all waste. Yes, we should reduce it as much as possible, but if we have the mindset of what I suggest as a diagnosis is lean anorexia, when we eliminate all waste, we may not actually improve the entire system and even hurt other individual processes. What is lean anorexia, you say? Well, this is the definition that I came up with. It's more of a joke and it's not as serious, but it does have a good point to it. Lean anorexia is a disorder characterized by having an abnormal low level of organizational waste or inventory. An intense fear of not being able to eliminate all waste in their organization and a distorted perception of continuous improvement principles. Organizations obsessed with waste place a high value on controlling their waste and 5S programs, using extreme efforts that tend to significantly interfere with their employees' lives and customers' expectations. We continue on with the definition. Lean anorexia isn't really about waste. It's an extremely unhealthy and sometimes threatening way to try and cope with organizational problems and system variation. When you have lean anorexia, you often equate the elimination of all waste and inventory with self-worth. So with that narrowed focus and possible lean anorexia, when we focus our improvement efforts only on the production floor, we may result in having only two things happen. First, we have earth-mirthing improvements that are made locally, but the entire value stream remains with the same total lead time as before the improvements occurred. As a result, no significant effects on the overall system occur because only one segment of the system improves instead of the whole system or value stream. Successful improvements are made. However, the process before production such as purchasing and the other support systems now cannot keep up because of the increased throughput. As a result, 
Incoming material from the vendor may be late, or inventory levels drop to negative, which can cause the production department to end up waiting for work. An improvement in one area of the system can introduce the waste of waiting in another area of the system, which are one of the ways we were hounded to eliminate per typical lean definitions. In closing, I want to share with you a section from my book, The Medicine of Lean Six Sigma and the Five Side Effects to Avoid. This section is called System Perspective of Waste, which says, Our traditional perspective on eliminating waste in our organization may cloud our thinking if our focus is only on removing or eliminating waste in the production department or wherever the real work happens in our organizations. When we think of waste in this manner, our perspective can change regarding what waste is and how it affects the production department, the system, and certain aspects of society. And that, my dear friend, my podcast listeners, is what I want to continue to do, challenge our preconceived thinking about lean so we can take what we already know about lean and expand that out into a holistic approach and continually improving your organization and raising the effectiveness of our societies throughout the world. Thanks again, my friend, for listening, and I'll catch back up with you again in the next episode.